It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 237, The Priest Ezra. The first part of the book of Ezra is a history dictated by Ezra himself. He writes the history of the resettlement prior to his arrival. He's one of the leaders of another group that went to resettle the land um, when you get to about Ezra 7. Ezra 7, 6. Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to his teachings and his laws of Israel. In his day, Ezra was a supremo teacher. I mean, he was a protector of the written code, a brilliant man. And considering what Jewish history says about him, he was a brilliant man of God devoted to his word. And actually, so Jewish history states that um, Ezra was one of the uh, the men that were in charge of the compilation of the word, um, the assignment that started even in Daniel's day that went all the way through into Ezra's time frame. So right here in Ezra 7, we have an article of history. And I just think it's cool um, how we have these ancient letters in the Bible. What rich history. Ezra seven eleven. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes had given to Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, teacher of the law of God of heaven. Greetings. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including the priests and Levites, who volunteer to go to Jerusalem with you may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah. In Jerusalem, with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Moreover, you are to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors had freely given to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, together with all the silver and gold you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the freewill offerings of the people and priests for the temple of the God in in Jerusalem. With this money, be sure to buy bulls, rams, and male lambs, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. You and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with all the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God. Anything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply, you may provide from the royal treasury. Now I, Artaxerxes, decree that all the treasuries of trans-Euphrates are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven, may ask of you, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil and salt without limit, 
Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall on the realm of the king and of his sons? You are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes, tribute, or duty of any of the priests, Levites, magicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, or any other workers at this house of God. And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God, which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice and all the people of trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God. And you are to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must severely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. What an anointed letter from the king. And I almost see it like a test. And, and this is from the perspective and, uh, you know, from Persia. Whoever blesses Israel will be blessed. Wasn't that the promise to Abraham? Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Many teachers today parallel prosperity in the world with the country's treatment of Israel. Persia, which was in its downturn and humiliated by Greece, could continue the spiral or not. Almost like a test in peacetime, Artaxerxes enjoyed a great measure of peace during his life. Potentially, this is because of his treatment of the Jews. And he even starts to reassert an authority over Greece by sponsoring their infighting. Now, this is kind of an extended timeline. Um, and the, Persia starts to adopt a new shrewd strategy, um, and it's probably the wisest for them. And a bit on this without switching gears too much. In Asia Maya, there is modern Turkey today. The Greeks, under the leadership of Athens, start to strike back, taking towns and trading centers along the coast because of their naval superiority. And we'll cover the Athenian Gold Age later, because it would give rise to the great philosophers in history. Well, the Persians lose ground, but soon they're going to learn that it's, it would be better that the Greeks fight themselves. The strategy they adopt is to play a game of, basically, a, a game of, of risk, really, to sit back and let them attack each other. It don't engage in open combat with the Greek phalanx, but from afar sow seeds of rebellion within their ranks. Sponsoring Spartan disloyalties and such, the Persians were able to stay out of the fighting as much as possible and sponsor the civil wars that are going to break out in Greece. This strategy will lead to an indirect dominance by the Persians over time. It'll be very indirect because they're going to actually lose and then slowly creep in and as Sparta and then Athens are going to attack each other. But it's going to take some time. But we're going to see that um, this humiliation that occurred, you know, at Salamis um, and Plate. yes, there's going to be a great counterattack, but it's going to stop. At a, not, it's not going to go too far. While all this is going on in Asia Minor, Ezra continues his journey. He's going to be a powerful force of the word in his day. Nehemiah will bring administration. Ezra will bring maturity of the word and Levitical cleansing. Zerubbabel was a good leader, We'll find some of the other leaders after him, like the high priest Eliashib, were full of compromise. Ezra lists those returning with him. Over a thousand men came with him or followed Ezra in the 
you know, this time period of additional resettlement. And Ezra is full of the commentary and even lists all the tribes and such. Ezra 8.21, There at the Avana Canal I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king, The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to Him, but His great anger is against those who forsake Him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer. So what's going on here is interesting. It says he was ashamed of asking for a royal guard. Well, what's the big deal, you know, just heading off to Jerusalem? The big deal is the enormous fortune he was carrying as gifts from Artaxerxes. Like a fleet of armored cars full of cash from the banks, he was headed back to Jerusalem. Except they weren't armored. They were wagons with dudes with little security training and maybe didn't even have weapons. This would have been a bandit you know, a whole tribe's retirement if they could have, you know, attacked Ezra and taken his treasure. Ezra 8.24 Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, namely Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten of their brothers, and I weighed out to them the offering of silver and gold and the articles that the king, his advisors, his officials, and all of Israel present there had donated for the house of our God. I weighed out to them 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold valued at a, a thousand derricks, and two fine articles of polished bronze, as precious as gold. I said to them, You as well as these articles are consecrated to the Lord. The silver and gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem before the leading priest and the Levites and the family heads of Israel. Then the priest and the Levites received the silver and gold and sacred articles that had been weighed out to be taken to the house of our God in Jerusalem. And on the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Hava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. On the fourth day in the house of our God, we weighed out the silver and gold and the sacred articles in the hands of Merimoth, son of Uriah. Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. And I would have rested for three days, too. It would have freaked me out to have that much cash in buggies and carts hauled with no security or weapons. It's an interesting story in the Bible. I mean, you an unusual business of transporting money. Pray like Ezra and you'll find security. That was millions in today's currency, and there was no escort. <laughs> it's like, you know, like a bunch of Honda Civics, you know, driving with gold bars in them. You know, it just, it just, it, it was a really bizarre scene. Um, no one was packing. There was no one that had guns. The police weren't aware. Um, and they were driving to Mexico. You know, like, it doesn't... <laughs> it didn't make a lot of sense, this story. But it shows how God protected them as they drove through... Sorry, as they, they rode and walked through uh, very hostile areas. Now, Ezra and the story of Nehemiah are going to intersect. And at the end of Nehemiah, which has a short timeline on it, it appears to intersect with the end of Ezra... And they must have liked each other, being like-minded in their callings and their intensity. 
And around this time, we have an issue in Israel of intermarrying with the other tribes. And this, this isn't a line in the sand rule, though I think it was actually commanded by Moses. See, Ruth w- was an exceptional case. But it's the intermingling of sin and impurity that's the issue. It's the marriage of a believer to a non-believer. It's having soul ties with the enemy. It's being unequally yoked. It's not a nationality and racist thing, but an aspect of purity versus impurity. Ezra 9, After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate for the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. We talk about a painful way to intercede. He pulled out his hair. He mourned for their sin. It's such a picture of godly mourning. Not sadness, but repentance that looks like extreme sadness. He was sad for their sin. He knew judgment was coming, and he was sad for his people. Sin leads to horrible consequences. Ezra knew this, and he was repentant. So he's appalled and quietly prayed for hours due to this. Or maybe he didn't even say anything. He knows they were sent to Babylon for these type of things. They just worked so hard to get back home, and it looks like it used to in his own eyes. And by evening, his prayer actually turns into a very loud public prayer. And watch what happens. It's like his, his faithfulness and his heart and his true, authentic prayers pulls down heaven, and it's like a, a spirit of repentance falls upon everyone, and they start to pray and they look like him. Ezra 9.5, Then at the evening sacrifice I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. I am too ashamed to disgrace my God to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and other our priests have been subject to the sword in captivity to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in this sanctuary, and so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief to our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia, He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins, and he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. But now, our God, what can we say after this? For we have forsaken the commands you have gave through your servants the prophets when you said, The land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples, and by their detestable practices they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. 
Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time, that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. Yet our God, you have punished us less than our sins deserve. You have given us a remnant like this. Shall we then break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. He's just passionate. I mean, he is... He. He is intense. He is standing up in front of assembly of thousands, and he's praying during the evening sacrifice, extremely loud in a public setting. And he may not even supposed to be doing this during the evening sacrifice. He's probably breaking tradition because he's so wrecked. But what happens next is quite remarkable. His repentance appears to release the spirit of repentance on the people, causing hundreds, if not thousands, to also repent. Ezra 10. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Then Shechaniah, son of Jehel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. Let us make a covenant before our God and then send away all those women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. So, you know, Ezra, who is appalled, and he was so appalled, I mean, his intercession, it sounds like he was even praying, confessing, he's crying, he's weeping, he's throwing himself down in this uh, very almost, uh, he called it a self-abasement. I mean, it's kind of some of those prayers that you heard about in the Middle Ages, maybe, where the, you know, the, the priest would just almost hurt themselves or starve themselves um, into this place of um, absolutely painful weeping and mourning for sin, uh, you know, and, and Ezra is authentic. And with it, other people are, are moved by him, and, and they're not just moved. Someone presents it as an option is, why don't we just remove everyone that they shouldn't have married and their families? So Ezra rose up, put the leading priest and Levites and all Israel under oath to do what he had suggested, and they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the room of Jeraniah, son of Eliashib. And while he was there, he ate no food and drank no water because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. So the people of Jerusalem repented for their ways, and, and I guess they sent unbelieving wives away, and even said the children which obviously no one would recommend today. And even Paul wrote in his letter that if you're unequally yoked, do not leave that person, but love them. For God's grace is, is commonly more powerful today to love them into the faith. 
Yet at this time, Ezra was dealing with the national issue. The national issue was idolatry, and his zeal rivaled some of Israel's greats. It continues, Ezra 10.7, A proclamation was then issued throughout Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. Anyone who failed to appear within three days would forfeit his property in accordance with the decision of the officials and elders and would himself be expelled from the assembly of the exiles. They considered the matter so urgent that those who didn't comply would be kicked out of the community. Um, and, and it even goes further. We're going to learn later that it's the rainy season. And I don't think it's just, you know, Seattle rain. We're talking heavy Midwest-type downpour uh, for three days. But these, these guys still have to get there in the three-day time frame, and they're going to even address it. Ezra 10.9, Within the three days, all the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. And on the twentieth day of the ninth month, all the people were sitting in the square before the house of God, greatly distressed by the occasion because of the rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful, you have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples around you and from your foreign wives. The whole assembly responded in a loud voice, You are right, we must do as you say. But there are many people here, and it is the rainy season, so we cannot stand outside. Besides, this matter cannot be taken care of in a day or two, because we have sinned greatly in this thing. Let our officials act for the whole assembly. Then let everyone in our towns who has married a foreign woman come at a set time, along with the elders and the judges of each town, until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. So let's consider a modern application to this story. Our world is a different one. I never recommend leaving an unbelieving wife or a husband. What if by chance you got saved and she or he didn't? Uh, You are unequally yoked. Or or maybe you married one and you didn't know better or you just chose to. And I, I wouldn't recommend you leave this person. Instead, love her as Christ loved the church and showed her his love. It's your example which will bring him or her to repentance. In the U.S., there was a real rising up of morality in the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, it was strong. The U.S. government actually made uh, um, alcohol illegal. Now, the time period became known as the Prohibition time period, the 1920-ish time frame. Just as there is a legal drug trade today, uh, the alcohol trade exploded during this time frame. The mafia got involved, and thousands and thousands found alcohol in a black market. The result of this was a rising up of illegal activity to match what many thought was a self-righteous law. The impact was a bad decision in retrospective, considering what happened. It was an example of putting upon other people Christian values and character in a state that allows for freedom of expression and ideas. Alcohol, though I don't drink, is not immoral or ungodly. Getting drunk is. The Bible says don't get drunk. It doesn't say don't drink. It's an example of a religious law in a land that went too far. Drugs, on the other hand, are dangerous and lethal and cause brain damage. In the hands of doctors with limitations in place, uh, regulations in place, they can bring healing. In the hands of the irresponsible, there are casualties. 
There's a moral line we as individuals must define, but not enforce on the others that don't believe. Let them decide on the morality for themselves, but the government must come in when things like drugs are an issue and regulate them to prevent harm upon others. To regulate something like alcohol went too far. In the context of Ezra's day, this sin of intermarrying um, with the locals who worship other gods was different. But sin is still the same. We love the sinner, hate the sin. While we cannot regulate or enforce morality, they did it in Israel in this age, and one could consider after the great repentance that the foreign wives were led to the city walls and the gates were closed behind them. This represented the gods who were with them. They were kicked out of the city. The sin and idols with them were ejected from Jerusalem. We cannot be goofy and religious with this as well, though, because, Mo- because Ruth was a Moabite. She was a converted Moabite. God accepted her in the family and blessed her. These women at the time of Ezra, we have to believe, were not converted and still in their trade or business or a foreign faith. There must have been some really kind of sick things going on, too, um, within um, Jerusalem with the foreign faith getting mixed in. And this is what disturbed the likes of Ezra. Sin is a serious issue. We must deal with it. It is what separates us from God. And I asked some hard questions in this episode, because strongholds are what prevent us from our breakthroughs. What are you convicted of? What is the thing that you know about and you don't have victory over? What's the thing that conviction comes upon you often? You know, is it a specific sin that you just know you don't have freedom over? Or is it shame of the past that still tries to haunt you? These things are what you need to kick out of the city of your faith and slam the doors of your heart to the sin and shame. Call it by name. Eject it from your life forever. Close the city gates behind it. What is holding you back? Get serious with sin and declare war on it. Fight the battles until you have mastery over them. You have all the strength you need in the Holy Spirit. Declare war and eject what doesn't belong in your heart. Set a time like Ezra and ask for God to illuminate every stronghold that it has you in bondage. And when the light shines, call it by name and command them to leave in the name of Jesus. Ezra was serious about repentance and about sin, and so should we. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.